I'll be reading from the book of Hebrews, starting in chapter 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thanks, Andrea. You know, I was going to use this box just so you could see me, but I didn't realize it was so difficult uh, to use and, and liable to just tipping over on people. So uh, I think I'm going to avoid it and, and move this a little bit. Um, oh, look, there's another step. This is great. It's very small up here. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, this is my first time. I'm getting used to it. Um, let's jump in. My father-in-law, uh, Doug, um, kind of guy who gets things done. So he's driving through town, Robbins, Iowa, the small town that he'd lived in for 20 years. Uh, it's a town of about 3,000 people, and Doug's recognizable. He's always getting involved in things. He served on the city council, and so people know him, and he knows people. He knows fire and emergency dispatch and police and all of those guys. Uh, he's headed east down West Main Street, and he's just kind of going down the hill that is just before the road curves and goes over Dry Creek. And... Uh, the Robbins police are a little, um, strict's not the right word, but consistent in their application of the, the speeding laws. And, and he's going probably 10 miles an hour over going down this hill, which is easy. It's a, it's a steep hill. It's going down the hill, 10 miles over, and who comes around the corner in front of him but Robbins police. You know that feeling you get when you're doing something wrong and an authority figure has just walked into the room and you know you're busted? Like, that's the feeling that makes you hit the brakes. It's the feeling that made Doug hit the brakes. But, so, it's, when it's that obvious, I, he knew that they knew that he was speeding. Uh, he knew that they knew that he was going over the speed limit. They're always paying attention to it. Uh, even though the cop didn't do anything, just passed him on by, 
He knew that he'd been caught. And that feeling of getting caught, which passes when the police don't pull you over, that feeling of getting caught came flooding back for him a couple of days later when he walked into Zio Giano's, his favorite lunch meeting spot, and at the big table, who's sitting there but Robin's police, fire, ambulance, and emergency dispatch, all sitting there celebrating somebody's birthday. And the feeling of guilt just came flooding back. The way he tells it just tore at his soul until he walked over to the table, you know, the table of authority figures, and, and with chagrin in his voice, he said, a couple days ago, about three in the afternoon, I was headed east on West Main Street, and I was going 10 over, and I know you saw me, and I've been feeling bad about it all week. Give me the ticket. I deserve it. Now, you may think my father-in-law is odd, uh, and I certainly would not try to disabuse you of that notion, but his actions on that day highlight something I think is fundamentally true of humanity and of our understanding of the way the world works. When we've done something wrong, we know it's going to cost us to make it right. When we've done something wrong, we know it's going to cost us to make it right. Think of his options. Right? Option number one is ignore the guilt. I don't have anything to feel guilty about. It's not that big of a deal. Move on with life. But when you do that, you actually kind of dig at your sort of essential humanity there a little bit. You know, the part of you that's good at living with other people becomes worse at living with other people. That's not good for your, you know, being a human being. Or he could try to justify himself. Well, everybody goes 10 miles over the speed limit. It was on a hill. I, I was paying attention to something else. I'm a good driver. I was being safe. Who are those people to be in charge of me anyway? Right? We've all done that. Or make it right. I know you saw me. I've been feeling bad about it all week. Give me the ticket. I deserve it. Words no sane human has ever spoken. Give me the ticket. I deserve it. Whichever path he chooses, and ultimately he cho chose the last one, whichever path he chooses, it's going to cost him something to make it right. It's going to cost him some of his essential humanity, the part of himself that's able to live with other people, or it'll cost himself, uh, if he says, you know what, I don't have to be under the rules, well, that's great when they're, the, the, the law system is punishing you, but when it's actually supporting you, you don't really get to pick and choose, so that's a problem too. Or he can sacrifice something valuable, money in this case, pay the fine, pay the ticket. Any choice he makes to make it right, to feel holy again, takes sacrifice. Now, I'm using the word holiness specifically in this context because I think it's one of those words that we, we throw around, we use it, we maybe know what it means, um, we know it's like a set-apartness or something like that, but, but sometimes when we use the word holy and sometimes when Scripture uses the word holy, it's talking about something a little bit different. It's talking about this standard of character, standard of character or pattern of actions that no one can criticize, you're holy when your actions live up to a standard that no one can criticize. And in the scriptural context, of course, we mean that God doesn't look on and criticize and say, no, you haven't lived up to it. But sometimes we, we, we use the word holiness, or maybe a better way to say it is, in our context, uh, holiness for us is living up to a standard of character that no one who matters to us can criticize. Holiness is a standard of character that no one who matters to us can criticize. 
And if, if we think of holiness that way, it becomes clear that we're all looking for it. We're all trying to find some holiness. We're all trying to get to the point where our behavior can't be criticized by anyone who matters to us, even if the only person who matters to us is ourselves. And holiness is simply being true to yourself. We're all trying to live up to a standard of holiness, an excellence of action that is beyond reproach, that can't be criticized. And if we're going to live up to holiness, if we're going to get to holiness, we have to sacrifice something to get us there. Holiness always requires sacrifice. Today we're looking at at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 18. We're coming up to the end of the big uh, teaching section of Hebrews, this big argument that the author of this letter has been making. You remember, he's, he's been reading the, the Old Testament. He's been reading especially the Day of Atonement rituals, and he's been saying, well, what does all of that mean in light of Jesus' death and resurrection? He's been reading that and interpreting it for us and for his first century Jewish Christian audience. And he's, he's getting to the end of the big argument that he's been making. If you remember the big argument that goes all the way from chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 10, verse 18, the big argument is the greater the priest, the greater the ministry. So chapter 4, 14 through the end of chapter 7 has been all about the great priest, Jesus, the great high priest. And then chapter 8 until the 10, 18 is about Jesus, the great high priest's greater ministry. And where we are today is in this last section, the last three paragraphs of that, the second half of that argument on the greatness of the ministry that our great high priest Jesus can do for us and to us. And where he's going in these verses, 5 through 18, kind of the capstone of this whole argument about Jesus' great ministry is about the, the holy making ability of Jesus' sacrifice. He's going to argue in these verses that Jesus, our great high priest, he, is, he has made us holy and he is making us holy. And this is important for us to understand because after this section, everything after this is application and exhortation. It's all the things we should do and why we should think about doing those things. And if we don't, if we don't zero in on the teaching from these paragraphs today, we're going to read the rest of Hebrews not as the things we do now that we have been made holy, but as the things we must do in order to become holy, in order to live up to God's level of holiness. And I don't want that for you. Because the point of this passage and the point of Hebrews as a whole is that the moral standard, the holiness standard that we, couldn't be, that we couldn't meet has been met for us in Jesus. The holiness standard that we could not meet has already been met for us in Jesus. And if we don't get that, we'll read the rest of Hebrews. We'll, we'll in fact, live the rest of our lives offering whatever sacrifice we, thinks it, we think it takes to make us holy in God's eyes or in the eyes of whatever God we happen to be serving. If we don't get that only in Jesus can we be made holy and can we be made more holy, 
If we don't see that it only comes in Jesus, we're going to spend the rest of our lives sacrificing whatever it takes to get ourselves to the level of holiness we think God or whatever God we serve, whatever thing we think is most important, requires of us. So, that's all context as we turn to Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 18. And as we turn there and as we start to read this, I want you to keep this in mind. Because of Jesus... Because he has made us holy and he is making us holy, because of Jesus, there are no more sacrifices. No more sacrifices. Let's jump in, chapter 10, verse 5. You know, no sacrifice is needed if you're already holy, right? You know that. If you haven't transgressed the law, you don't need to go up to the police officer and say, give me the ticket. No sacrifice is needed if you're already holy, if if your standard of character is such that no one, not even God, can criticize it. But none of us are like that. For us to be made holy, it took someone who is like that. That's where we pick it up in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and before I read what he said, Notice the word consequently. Consequently means everything he's about to say relies on everything he's already said, which I just summarized for you. Remember the main argument, our greater priest can do a greater ministry through us and to us. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. That's absolutely important. That's why Jesus came into the world. That's why Jesus entered into the cosmos, into creation. Jesus came into the world as the perfectly obedient Son of God because, and then our author quotes Psalm 40. Psalm 40, uh, kind of a fascinating psalm. It's originally written by David, uh, and he quotes specifically verses 6 through 8, which is where David is saying, as the, the king over God's people, he's saying, Look, what you require of me, God, is not sacrifices, First, it's obedience. It's perfect obedience. It's the obedience we were created to have in the garden. It's it's the holiness you created us under in the garden. That's what you require of the king. He's he's saying, let's read it uh, here in 5, 6, and 7. Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. See, God did not want a sacrificial system as plan A. That was not his perfect plan for creation. It was a plan that came into place because plan A, perfect holiness in the garden, didn't last. Plan B is the sacrifices and ultimately the sacrifice of Christ. But the sacrifices, the the Old Testament sacrificial system, God only desired it to the extent that it made his people holy. It, It wasn't the sacrifices he wanted, it was the sacrifices as a means to the end of the holiness of his people, the consecration of his people, the cleansing of his people so that they could come into his presence and he could dwell among them and in their midst so that he could be their God and they could be his people. So David, as the royal king, is saying, you didn't want sacrifices and offerings from me. 
You wanted me to do your will. And the author of Hebrews is reading Psalm 40, and he's kind of seeing in David's experience sort of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. And so he puts these words, in a sense, into Jesus' mouth, saying, when Jesus came into the world, into creation, when he was incarnated, this is what he said. This was his mission. You didn't want, this is verse 8, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These all are offered according to the law. So he added, verse 9, behold, I have come to do your will. What God wanted was the perfect holiness, the perfect obedience of his people. And so Jesus has traded the first, the sacrificial system, that's what the second half of verse 9 tells us, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's traded the first, the sacrificial system, the, the temporary, the plan B, for the second, the permanent, the plan A, the holiness of God's people. See, when Jesus came into the world as a human being, he lived a perfect human life. As a holy human, a clean, a sanctified, a purified human being, he lived a holy life because that was the will of God for humanity. His holy life then became a substitute for our unholy life as he did away with the first to establish the second through a sacrifice of himself. Let's, let's look ahead to, to verse 10. See, Jesus coming into the world as a perfectly holy human being who lived a life of perfect holiness, he came into the world in order to give that holiness to us. Verse 10, by that will, that's the will of God, Jesus' perfect obedience and his sacrificial death on the cross, by that will, the author writes, we have been sanctified. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 10 is the first of kind of three really pivotal or key verses that I want to highlight as we're going through uh, here to the end of 18. And there's a ton in just this verse, uh, so we don't have time to dig into all of it. I want to focus just for a moment on the phrase, we have been sanctified. Because where the author has been putting everything in the you and he and, and in the different tenses, kind of talking about what's happening out there, now he says we, and he includes himself and all of us. He's bringing it home for us. This whole letter, uh, the author's been concerned with purification, with cleansing, with the purging of sin from our bodies and from our souls, with what's formally called the, the consecration making his people holy so that God can dwell with them. And in verse 10, we read that it's happened. We have been sanctified, verse 10 says. We have been sanctified. We have been made holy. We have been, as a capstone to all of this argumentation that's come before it, we have been decisively purified, ultimately cleansed, finally purged of sin. We have been fully consecrated. Now, not cleansed, purged from sin, consecrated in the sense of this being a, uh, like a garment that we put over ourselves, a clean clothes that we put over a dirty body and that hides the dirtiness, but that we have been intimately and essentially cleansed. 
made holy, purified. He's saying, look, all this discussion, it's not theoretical. This is personal for you now. We are clean. That's who we are now. That's what we are now in Jesus. We are holy, which was God's plan for your life all along. There's a sort of disorganized pile of rusty machinery in my garage. Uh, old tools that I've inherited or bought or acquired by other means that have come to me that, that are covered in rust. Uh, they don't work. Uh, they essentially look like trash. Um, actually, Jenna calls it the unholy mess. So it, it, it's rust and dirt and all of that. But it wasn't created that way. And it wasn't intended by its creator to be that way. It was in, all of these machines were intended to be whole. They were intended to be clean. They were intended to be fit and functional for the use for which they were designed. But then through neglect, through misuse, through mishandling, they've all kind of fallen to pieces. My goal, slowly, 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 is to clean them up, put them back together, make them into something that, that's usable again to to kind of uncover the solidity that's still there, to remove the outer surface rust and dirt and get to the clean that's underneath it. Now, that's only slightly analogous to us because while we were made to be holy, we have fallen. We have fallen greatly away from it. We have no holiness in us at all until, verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, if, if, you've, if you've seen Jesus for who he is, if you've seen Jesus as, as the great high priest, the son of God himself who came from heaven, lived a, a perfect life, the life that we should have lived, that we were designed to live, we were created to live in the garden. If you see Jesus as our priest, our representative who lived that life for us and then offered himself in our place, if you've seen who he is and understood what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you've seen him and understood that, what he did for you, I don't mean you in like the general humanity sense, but I mean you and your particularities, all of the, the deep desire and the deep brokenness that each of you has inside that you wrestle with, that you hide, that you assuage, that you try to uh, remediate in different ways. If you see Jesus as your priest who came and offered and sacrificed himself for you, you particularly, and you've responded by submitting that sense of yourself, this, this submission. It's, it's a simple and insanely difficult and profound and humbling submission of the sense of, I'm the one who calls the shots, and no one, not even God, gets to tell me otherwise. No one but myself gets to define what holiness is and what acceptance is. If you've taken that sense of yourself and submitted it to God through Jesus, your great high priest, and in faith, faith, just the, the habit of believing that what God says is true is true. If in faith you have submitted that part of yourselves to the priest who offered himself for you, then you have been cleansed. You have been made holy. That's a statement of objective reality. 
that is a statement of your objective reality. It depends not in the least on how you feel about it. It depends not at all on how well you think you did yesterday or how well you think you're going to do tomorrow. It depends not at all on that, uh, that sin way back in your past that you've just still hoping no one finds out about that just slowly gnaws at you like an echo that you can't stop hearing. It, it depends not at all on the sin that you find yourself in now that you want out of but also maybe don't want out of until maybe tomorrow, and, and then maybe tomorrow you'll want out of it the next day. You are holy. You are clean. You have been sanctified. I've said you have been enough times that hopefully you got that this happened in the past. It's done. It's been completed. It's the the kind of verb that means the action has all been completely done and not done by you, but done to you. You have been sanctified by the offering of someone else. It is done, it is finished, it is final, nothing can take it away. You are holy. And I know the work is done because verse 12 tells us that uh, when Jesus, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Single sacrifices come up over and over and over and over again. It's important that he only did this once, and then he was done. If I know anything from the home I grew up in, it's you don't sit down until the work is done. If you do, you're liable to not be able to sit down for a while. It'll hurt too much. The priests of the old covenant never sat down. They were never done. While they were on duty, there was always another sacrifice. There was always another sacrifice. They were never done. Jesus offered one sacrifice for all time, once and for all, sat down. And the author of Hebrews tells us, when he sat down, everything changed. You are holy. And nothing can change that. No more sacrifice is needed for your holiness. But he goes on. Verse 14, the second kind of main verse I want to lift up to your attention. You are holy, but you're also being made holy. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being sanctified. So there's a bit of a difference here, a significant difference. It's still passive, meaning it's still being done to us. This is not something you are doing. This is something that's being done to you. But now it's progressive. It's in process. It's ongoing. It's not fully done. We're holy, according to verse 10, but according to verse 14, we are becoming holy. So, is the author arguing with himself, or contradicting himself, or confused? No, the, the key to understanding what's going on here is that these two verses are being applied to us in two different ways. Uh, the word sanctified, or made holy, is being applied to us in two different ways. In verse 10, sanctified is applied to the, the core of our being, our essential nature, deeper than our mind, deeper than our thoughts, deeper even than our hearts. 
The core of who we are is now holy in God's sight. But the exterior of who we are, the behavior of who we are, hasn't caught up yet. The Spirit is continually working that essential nature of ourselves outward, further and further and further outward, so that we love the right things, believe the right things, think the right things, and so finally do the right things. But it takes time. It takes time. At the surface level, the level of our behavior, we are being made holy. We're not yet fully sanctified. And as I'm up here preaching and gesticulating wildly, I, I keep noticing on the back of my hand a, a number of little black spots. And when I did this first hour, I also noticed pizza sauce on my, uh, on my cuff here. But uh, little black spots, I was doing some work around the house yesterday that involved spray paint, and so I'm you know, holding up cardboard to mask off something and spray painting, and I'm getting it all over my hand. And you know, once you get dirty, you can't help but not sort of see that, right? And, and you start rubbing it off and trying to get this off. And it, it was last night when I went to bed, even after showering and scrubbing it, it was still a big black spot, and I felt like Lady Macbeth uh, just trying to, to rub it off here. But it, it's slowly wearing down to where there's only a few spots left. See, when I was a kid, I tried to get out of baths and showers by telling my mom that underneath the dirt I was perfectly clean. Um, did any of you try that? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I now, know, now that I have a child, I understand why. Um, you may be perfectly clean under the dirt, but that doesn't mean you don't smell. And uh, my, my job now, like with this paint on my hand, is to get through the paint back down to the level of sort of fundamental cleanness, right? Uh, work on the outside. It, it's kind of analogous to what I'm talking about here with our sanctification, our becoming more holy. Except instead of trying to wear down the outside to get to the clean underneath, we're trying to expand the clean underneath until everything on the outside has become holy as well. See, verse 10, verse 14 are, are both telling us we, we are holy at the level of our core, inmost, irreducible identity, and we are becoming holy. We are in progress. There's another parallel between verse 10 and verse 14 that I, I want you to see. Verse 10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 says, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In both verses, it's the offering of Jesus that has sanctified us, and it's the offering of Jesus that is making us sanctified that is purifying us, that is perfecting us. The word uh, perfect or to perfect is interesting. You could translate it something like completely completed. Uh, so verse 14 would say, by a single offering, has, he has completely completed those who are being sacrificed, or sacrificed, sanctified. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us holy and guarantees that we will be made completely holy. It's the offering of Jesus that guarantees that who we are becoming will one day line up perfectly with who we are, holy before God. In other words, the very same sacrifice that made you holy continues to make you holy. In the same way, you can, uh, you can look at a baby, and that baby is completely 
a human being, right? There's no alien in there. It's completely a human being, but it is not yet a complete human being. It needs to grow, and it will. Now, the growth is inevitable. In, in a similar way, you and I, we are sanctified completely, but not yet completely sanctified. We've got growing to do. And now we will grow. It's inevitable. It's now in our nature to grow. We can't not grow. Now, some of us may grow at a rate that would make the Ice Age jealous, uh, a glacial pace of growth, perhaps, but we will grow. We will become what we are. When God looks at us as a people, when He looks at you, He doesn't see a person who needs another sacrifice in order to be made holy again. He sees a person who has been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus, the one, the single, the once for all time sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. It has both sanctified us completely and will one day completely sanctify us. We will become what we already are in Christ. No more sacrifices are needed. Now, what do we do with this? No more sacrifices are needed. There's the key thrust of what uh, the author is getting across here, even in this entire chapter 4 to chapter 10 section. No more sacrifices are needed. What do we do with this? Well, I defined holiness as a standard of behavior uh, such that no one that you care about or no one who matters to you can criticize, right? We're all pursuing holiness. We're all pursuing some standard of excellence that the person we care most about can't criticize. So the fundamental question is, whose opinion do you care most about? Whose opinion do you care most about? If you care most about the opinion of your amalgamated uh, followers and friends on whatever social media platform uh, you frequent, you will sacrifice something to achieve the holiness, to achieve the standard of behavior such that you cannot be criticized by those people you care most about. And you'll slowly become another version of yourself so you don't even recognize yourself. If the person who matters most to you is a parent, or your parents or your extended family's uh, approval, what they say about you is what matters most to you. You want to be holy in their eyes. You want to live up to a set standard of behavior such that they cannot criticize you because then finally you would feel accepted by your family. That's going to require a sacrifice. You will, you can't not offer the sacrifices it takes to get your family or your parents or whoever matters most to approve of you. If the person whose opinion matters to you most is a spouse, think of all the things you have to sacrifice so that that spouse continues to think most highly of you and never criticize your behavior. If it's a child, what do you do to yourself 
in order for that child to never criticize you and your behavior, to be holy in their eyes. It doesn't matter who you value most. Anyone in your life or really anything in your life, whether it's a person, a relationship, whether it's wealth, pleasure, power and fame, whether it's uh, achievement or success, whatever it is that you are going after, whatever kind of little G God you are serving, putting up in God's spot, you will have to sacrifice in order to be holy in its eyes, in order to live up to the standard of character such that that thing cannot, that person cannot and does not criticize you. The insidious thing is whatever you worship will continue to require more and more and more sacrifice until eventually you'll be eaten alive. Except the author of Hebrews is telling us there's another way. There's another way if the person whose opinion matters the most to you is God. If the person whose standard of holiness matters most to you is God, then at the very same time, the author of Hebrews is telling us you can never live up to it. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot live up to it. And at the very same time, on the other hand, he's saying Jesus already has. He already has for you. And because he already has lived up to that standard of holiness and made the only sacrifice necessary to make you that standard of holiness, no more sacrifices are needed. No more sacrifices are needed. No more sacrifices are needed. You don't have to go out of here and continue to give up yourself and sacrifice things that you're supposed to be holding on to in order to make this person, that person, this family, that thing happy with you. You don't have to go out of here and serve all of the little gods that are vying for your attention and telling you, give it all up for me and I will give you the glory you're looking for. I will give you the satisfaction you're looking for. I will give you the peace that you're looking for. You don't have to walk out of here and worship and sacrifice everything for those gods because the only God who won't eat you alive has already sacrificed himself. You are holy by faith in Christ. You are holy now, yeah, we're being made holy, and we're going to talk about that all through the rest of Hebrews. It's all application from here on out. You are holy. Here's how I know it. Verse 18, quickly here at, at the end. This is the last big verse I wanted to kind of raise up, lift up for you. Verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Forgiveness of these, forgiveness of what? Well, verse 17 the promise from Jeremiah 31, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will take their sins and their lawless deeds and I will not hold them accountable for them. I will not criticize their behavior based on those things. I will applaud their behavior based on the single offering of the body of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And where there is no longer sin and lawless deeds, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no more offering. There's no more sacrifice. There is forgiveness for all of the ways we pursued all these other things that 
we think are important and will bring us satisfaction and flourishing. There is forgiveness for all the people that we've hurt along the way as we've thrown them to the side in our pursuit, I should say our sacrifice of them to a greater God that we're pursuing. There is forgiveness for all of these. And where there is forgiveness, ultimate, final, once and for all, one and done, never again, forgiveness, there's no more offering. There's no more sacrifices. You are holy. You need nothing more. Stop trying to get there on your own. It's already been done for you. Pray with me. Father, you have given us a gift beyond compare that we can't even grasp the full ramifications of. You have made us holy. You have made our core essence into the shining reflection of Christ because of his offering on our behalf. And we are becoming holy. We're not perfect. We're not completed yet. We're not clean on the outside, but you are cleaning us from the inside out. You have, Father in Christ, you have overturned decades, generations, centuries of us trying to live up to your standard, and you have done it for us. Help us, Father, to rest, to rest in the holiness you have given to us. to be at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.